The Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide. Get back a bit. It's like when I'm trying to bring the two girls in, the three girls in, and I'm trying to force them to the front. So I've almost got a type of sort of family show going on. You know. Tonight's song is... Hello, world. Thank uh, you. Another edition of this fine podcast, Puritan's Guide to the Fall Guide. Uh, today we are talking about Fit and Working Again, a track from the Falls Slates. We'll get into the, the actually I wanted to get into an argument about whether this is an LP or an EP, but uh, we'll get into that. But Slates was released on uh, Rough Trade on the 24th of April, 1981, written by MES, Mark Rowley and Craig Scanlon. And uh during the uh, period where the lineup was Marky e. Smith, Craig Scanlon, Steve Hanley, Mark Riley, and Mike Lee on drums. And we're joined, my illustrious co-host Hiram and I are joined today by an equally illustrious guest. We always have illustrious guests on here, just like Jesus and Merrill. <laughs> and we're joined by uh, Corey Rayborn, who's the uh, man behind Three Lobed Recordings, one of the finest independent labels around, released uh, a Wealth of material by folks like Bardo Pond, Steve Gunn, uh, Enos Slaughter, one of my favorite records they put out, and uh, they're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. So we're here to talk about fit and working again. Corey, how, how thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me. It's, uh, it's fun to take a break from work to talk about the fall. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So why did you pick this song? Let's just start there. It's the, the Slate's. I will, I will say EP, we'll go ahead and Thank start you. that argument off, um, <laughs> is probably my fa- one of my favorite EPs across the, any band uh, the, of just a, con- it's such a, like that and like, you know, Pavements, Watery, watery Domestic mm. are two great, like just bands distilled down to a single EP. And it is one of my absolute favorite fall releases across their entire catalog. I, mm-hmm. I think all, all the songs are pound for pound, very potent and, and they're right there in the era of fall that I appreciate the most. And this song is just a, it's just always a fun one. I'm always a, a fan for things that sound positive, but actually have seemingly uh, sinister and negative undercurrents. And uh, this song, like so many fall songs fits right into that wheelhouse. Absolutely. Is this the first time we've talked about a, a Slate's song? No, um, we did. We did uh, leave the Capitol at least. Okay. And I why I maybe that. another one. Okay. I think it was kind of early on. Yeah. I just yeah. always remember talking about Dick off being a, <laughs> <laughs> being a store or something, not his actual Dick. I can't. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite fall records as well, Slates. Uh, and I think a lot of people's, because this is a, a great era for the band. And uh, yeah, I, I just, the EPLP thing, I got into a, a long argument with a fellow fall fan, a, a former guest of the show, Ryan Matheson, because I was writing something for Stereo Gum, like ranking all their albums, which is always a dicey proposition for anything. Besides the fact they have so many of them and that, you know, people are going to argue about these things. But he was really upset with me that I didn't include this. And I was like, but it's an EP. It's six songs on a 10 inch record. That's not an LP if we're going to, it's not an album. So I don't know. Your your mileage may vary on that listeners. 
Yeah, you can't go back and uh, treat it like Star Wars or something. You can't just redo <laughs> it and add a few songs and make it an LP. Yeah. That's which, how I feel about it. Yeah. Which I'm glad <laughs> Superior Viaduct didn't do when they re-released it. Like, you know, do some expanded double 10-inch version. Well, I, mean, I think the, I mean, the original way I ever first heard this record was, I guess, the CD version that compiled it with uh, a part of America therein. Oh, I right. Have, yeah, I have. Was that a, which is the weird, like, mashed together thing of its own right right yeah um i i was just gonna say i, I really like slates too and uh, i think we've already my main question about this song and i've always felt it was ironic but is this song ironic or not like <laughs> that's my main question right now about the song i mean i had some other stuff that i wanted to ask but that was basically it and i always felt it was ironic but then just kind of reading some of the things uh, that they talked about on on the annotated fall about underground medicine and stuff. I wasn't so sure if it was. And I was like, no, it's got to be ironic because he's bleeding and you know <laughs> he's he's doing drugs and hanging from a chandelier. But yeah, so anyway, I feel it's ironic. I like the EP. That, that's all I have to say for now. <laughs> I'll just yeah. drink more coffee. <laughs> yeah, do you take this as an as an ironic song, Corey? I take it weirdly as semi-faced. I take it as, and you, I guess we could just jump to the, like if, if we jump to the end of the, the, the lyrics of the song, I take it as someone who was a former addict, cleaned their act up, but then is relapsing at the end. And uh. at, at total, and then kind of taking it as face value as recounting the period of time he was fit, but then, you know, the, the ending of it, because I'm fit and working again, don't you know that was the tale Right. Right. And I don't know. That's like, interesting. And but so Jeff, he's also talking about tail end earlier in the lyrics. So I don't know whether the that was the tail end is the prior tail end he's re- referencing or is it a concurrent tail end? I don't know. I'm probably overanalyzing this like like I'm pretending like it's my day job or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we, that's why we do this show to to. to overanalyze these songs but yeah i always thought i always thought that as well just because of the the lyric before where he's talking about how he feels like alan minter who is a, a boxer from the uk you know and boxers are always in great shape but then i just ate eight sheets of blotting paper which you can get the, normally people who are on the clean side do yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah and that could be like you know seen either way of like blotting paper which I, i'm I don't know. I'm, I'm gathering it's something to do with like, you know, you know, uh, a wound or something or like clearing up sweat on a boxer. I don't know. But, it, but there's also the connotation of LSD in there as well. Yeah, I always took it as blotter. Yeah, I always took it as blotter paper, too. Yeah. yeah. And then he says he chucked out the Alka-Seltzer, which I don't know what <laughs> what relation that has to do with anyone's health other than, you know, cl- clearing well, up hangovers. There's that thing on Annotated Fall that that was a reference to a bunch of amphetamine addicts would also do Alka-Seltzer at the same time to increase the effect. Yeah, ah, I read that too, I which I found that. interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, I read that too. So um, also it seems to me like not only increasing the effect, but uh, antacids would probably help uh, your stomach pains after doing a whole bunch of sure. acid or not acid, but speed. So yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely read that too, which, I thought it was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was, as we've talked about plenty on this show. He was a known amphetamine enthusiast, Marcus. Yeah. So that does that does track. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think even he would say that. I, <laughs> I've, been, 
I've been reading uh, the book Jim uh, Ball Four by Jim Bowden, who is a major league baseball pitcher, and he's he's always talking about the 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 baseball players taking greenies is what they called them, which I think were like you know low level amphetamines to sort of you know uh, heighten people's awareness and and focus when they're out there on the diamond. So that's what I was interesting. Of. Yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a known thing for a lot of sports. I think so. That's why yeah. the, the Alan Minter line always kicks that into gear in my head right right well i just know when i was younger you could pick up uh trucker speed pretty easily at the local 7-eleven you know yeah which was a fed which was a fedrin yeah so but you can't get anymore because uh people use it for meth for so long that they decided they didn't want to sell it at the yeah anyway oh man <laughs> like the no dose zone yeah oh yeah the little yeah, buzz pills yeah. of like the yellow and yellow and black sort of buzz pills i've taken those i'll admit yeah, it exactly. <laughs> oh yeah i've taken a lot of ephedrine <laughs> over the years <laughs> now it's just coffee but anyway sorry so i still i still, i've always saw it as like you know drugs but that that line about uh to go back to the tail end uh I guess I always just assumed that it was talking about the beginning of the song and I never really saw him as, um, I don't, I never really saw it as him being off drugs. I, I just thought he was like always using drugs somehow throughout. Um, but you know, that, that's just how I've always taken it. Um, because of the, uh, the idea of like the underground medicine, which was the one thing I picked up on, which we could talk about in a bit or later or now, if you want, however you wanted to, <laughs> however you guys want to do it. Um, yeah. I'm curious about that. What is it? What is it? Paul Hanley said about the underground medicine that it's like, um, like this, this theory of using your body to its full potential. Right. So, so, all right. It, it also goes back to uh, good old, William Burroughs, right? It, like, because right. I did some more research on annotated and then um, uh, used my own bad memories about Burroughs. <laughs> Not bad memories, but just my bad memory about what I know about Burroughs. Right. And then uh, some, a few, a little bit of research, but uh, basically, like, the underground medicine was something that Burroughs kind of talked about. It's kind of like this idea of, <laughs> of doing it's, it's, I want to call it esoteric, if not pseudo esoteric uh, knowledge of the body and kind of like doing lots of drugs and burning yourself out. And, you know, this leads to uh, being uh, living longer, like being healthier in some sort of way. And I can't remember exactly what all of this is about, but it, it kind of reminds me of like Oregon energy with, yeah. uh, with Reich and uh, what was that guy's name? Kelly, Charles Kelly, who, who like uh, expanded upon it. Um, but Burroughs, like, I think Burroughs was a big factor in, uh, in MES's writing, at least during this period, because mm -hmm. of the cut up method that he and was it Geisen, I think, uh, came up with. Um, but Burroughs was big into drugs as well, although in speed, but also like heroin and stuff like that. So, um, it seems to have been, I wrote down, it seems to have been a concept picked up from William Burroughs, a way to use the body's full potential through drugs and body abuse. Right. Um, 
And then uh, I think that uh, oh, I already said that. And, and I think this is the first time we've mentioned Burroughs. So if anybody doesn't know who William Burroughs was, I just wrote down a <laughs> weird, place place to find, weird place to come to find out. But hey, whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's what I was thinking. I was like, just in case no one knows who William Burroughs <laughs> is. It's probably like he and uh, Ginsburg and Kerouac are like the three most famous beat writers, I would say, mm-hmm. American beat writers. Um, and then I wrote down a, a snarky list, which I usually have. Uh, so I just wrote that Burns was like basically a world famous junkie, a man who killed his wife, <laughs> uh, partial creator Jack, of the cutoff method. Yeah, yeah. Heir to a typewriter fortune, uh, an underground celebrity, you know, like he was really big among like the, the early punk rock group, or at least the literary yeah. sort of set. Um, like- so, yeah. And also, uh, he ended up living in Lawrence, Kansas, of all places, which is where I lived throughout most of the '90s. So, yeah. right, he kind of had a resurgence in the in the '90s of uh, of what the word I'm looking for here is. It's kind of like a you know he he bubbled to the surface again, culturally speaking, just because I know Kurt Cobain and Nirvana were you know Kurt Cobain referenced him a lot and hung out yeah. with him a bit. And he did like this weird 10 inch or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then he did a record that a very fascinating record, I think, where it was like him reading and there was that group, the disposable heroes of hypocrisy doing all the music behind him. So it's very weird industrial electronic stuff happening. There's there's also don't don't forget his appearance on that weird X file soundtrack. uh, Yes. Doing vocals on REM track. Yes. Yeah. There's also the (laughs) natural extension of of things. Yeah. Yeah, movie movie version of Naked Lunch. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Appearance in Drugstore yeah. Cowboy. He was in a Nike ad, I think, is what it was. He was also in this movie that was much less known called Twister before Twister ah, came out. Ah, that's a great with, movie. Uh, yeah, I love that movie. That just takes place in Kansas about a tornado. Has uh, what's his face? You know, Crispin Glover and Susie Amos, and yeah, an amazing movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. Anyway, so yeah, he shows up with a shotgun in that movie. I think that's right. Um, that's right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he had a big resurgence in the nineties for various reasons. It seems like. Uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think I see what you're saying because I know his big thing with the Oregon accumulator, this like little building that he built and would sit in is sort of, I think he, I, if I have this right, like I think he was looking at that as sort of a way to get over his heroin withdrawals and junks. Right. It's sort of, you know, that helped him through that. So yeah, because he yeah because he did move into like the Oregon energy idea of things. Uh, Burroughs yeah. did after yeah. this all came out. Um, I, and, yeah, and, you know, reading that and like thinking about the the underground medicine theory that Hanley said, I unfortunately remi- was reminded of our uh, former president um, who was entirely against exercising. Because he felt that that was like ruining his body's natural energy. I was I was going to try not to bring all that stuff up that has happened over the last two years, but yeah. I thought of that a lot too. Yeah, it's like the weird uh, shit that's going on now. <laughs> oh yeah, the weird pseudoscience that is that is being peddled by so many of these uh, 
uh, right-wing blowhards is, is really fascinating and, and distressing, but we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right, right. about this. <laughs> but let us bring it up and drop it there. Yep, there you something. go. So that's just something that, that drew to mind when I was thinking about <laughs> Paul Hanley discussing underground medicine. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, th- so underground medicine was a thing with uh, Mark as well. So like, yeah. a, you know, Roush Rumble is a song of, this, as to what Paul would have called the underground medicine songs and annotated calls that. And of course the song underground medicine or medicine or whatever you would right. pronounce how it's actually spelled on, uh, on the first one. So yeah. yeah. Live at the there you go. house. Yeah. There, there you go. There's the bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So sorry, so sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. So was this kind of your introduction to the fall Corey, this record, or were you a fan previously? Uh, this era of the fall was, I think the first record I ever heard by the fall, strangely, was Total's Turns, ah. and, <laughs> which was a weird intro point, but <laughs> things happen as they happen. So, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, this ha- I, I happened into this probably not too long after that. Was this something that, like Total's Turns, is that something you came to on your own, sort of knowing their influence and knowing who they were? Yes. Yeah, it was it was kind of a situation that was when I was in college and ended up at a record store that didn't you know there are a couple of different record stores around and there weren't a ton of fall. I mean in the mid nineties and stuff stuff like that, there weren't a lot of older fall things that were non-import or easy to find. Right. And so just kind of stumbling into what you could when you could. And uh that's where the path went. But it did but it was a uh, it was very refreshing and uh, led me down other paths. So, <laughs> is this a is this a band, The Fall, that comes up uh, with some of the artists that you work with on Three Lobed as a as a particular influence? It feels like a, it feels like a bit of a stretch with some of them. Not yeah, not a ton. I mean, I know that James Toth, Wooden Wand, etc. He like I know he's a, into like Slate's type era Fall. Mm-hmm. Steve Gunn digs The Fall, but like I, I can't. You know, Maloney, the sunburn crowd, that's clearly in their zone. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, that's not like a conversation I have with like Daniel Bachman about <laughs> ball necessarily. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can't, yeah, I can't hear like the, well, uh, the season perhaps, but the band maybe not. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, uh, as as I like to ask any guest in this uh, in this podcast, I mean, had have you had a had you had a chance to see the fall in concert when they were around? I never did, sadly. And it was I know they played at the Cat's Cradle at some point, either when I was in undergrad or in law school. And for some reason, I felt like ah, this record this record cycle they're on is not the most exciting to me. I don't feel like going, but that's that's a mindset I had then that I don't have as much now mm-hmm. that led to me not seeing them and, and a few <laughs> other things along the, you know, in that era where you were just tying things so closely to the time rather than a greater span of time. So opportunity was there and opportunity was wandered. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. You have any more notes about this song, Hiram? Um, I think that like one of the things I was thinking about this morning was just that, and this is pretty obvious, but it seems like it's one of their country and Northern songs, uh, cause of the, 
just the acoustic guitar, mm. like the idea kind of is like um, container drivers in in form in a way. It also reminds me of like sort of their, uh, as far as the music goes, like they're uh, an Elvis song. Because I know like Flat of Angles is based off of an Elvis song uh, whose name escapes me at this point. Um, and and so this one's also reminding me of like that era of like Elvis where he was playing an acoustic guitar and there was like you know that sort of thing going on. So I kind of I kind of feel like this was one of their country songs in a way. I don't know. Anybody want to argue that? Or uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely that underpinning, but then but then there's that like totally mutant piano that overlays the entire thing that just right. kind of drives it straight into the ditch, which I kind of love. <laughs> No, I I love the music setup on this song. Like all, the the piano, like it was kind of this weird Stooges idea of the mm. single note piano within this song. Oh, yeah. It's like ding 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 ding. Like I love that. I I love that even in Stooges songs. And so like it was great here. Um, and in my mind, I was getting this and Roush Rumble mixed up, which is like a ripoff of like Shake Appeal or something by the Stooges. So like I was thinking of. I was thinking that that combination with the sort of country and northern songs, like mm-hmm. this one did. When I think of this song musically, the first things that usually pop to my mind are the like that repetitive pian- atonal piano plinking, and it's like the bass tone. The bass is yeah. just so great in this song. Like, I think of those things before I even get to the guitar. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so driven by the piano and bass. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite elements of this era of the fall is Steve Hanley's bass playing. Um, just it's so forward in so many of the songs from this era. And yeah, it's the thing I think of when I think of the songs is like those amazing bass lines and like, you know, in those. Well, and, that's, and that's kind of how I first think of this record, this entire, I'm sorry, EP, this, uh, <laughs> the, the entire time. When I'm, the first thing I think of anytime I think of slates are those opening bass notes for middle mass. Right, where it, it, where it just it's it's so looming and booming and ominous, and but just like pulls you right in. Right. No, I agree. It just I think that, through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think they were trying to do. They were mixing things in, like old soul records, basically. I mean, this one has, uh, which uh, <laughs> what is it? The Kiss Casino Soul Dream, all, mm-hmm. as well. So, like, I think that they were trying to maybe mix songs with the bass forward, like drums and bass forward. So they would be more like the old soul songs or more like uh, the dance songs that they were, you know, he was listening to or older people older than him were listening to a Wigan or whatever. And so, uh, so yeah, I think I, I love Hanley's bass playing throughout, but yeah, the, I think the, the mixing and how the bass sounds on these albums around this time period is really fascinating, uh, really interesting. Right. So, and that's a shout to Grant Showbiz, who is the, the producer for this this song and most of this EP, for sure. And right, right. Worked a lot with The Fall during this period. Yeah. Well, to jump yeah. back, to, so I know, Bob, you said you were kind of on the same page with me, that you feel this is a a little bit of a chronicle of someone falling back in at the end. Oh, yeah. Hiram, do you? Or not necessarily? I, I'm gonna go with not necessarily just That's because honest. of great. I mean, no, no. I because of the main thing is just uh, the whole underground medicine thing mm-hmm. idea, which made me think of Burroughs and his like 
I don't know, body abuse. And if, if that's where he was pulling it from. And so like, that's why I'm like, uh, maybe, you know, I mean, I, I definitely see it. I'm just not so sure yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah. And that's why I also think the song is like more ironic than not. Right. Within, within everything. So yeah, and I think uh, the, the nice, and again, as I think I've mentioned a lot with his lyrics, is it's such a, a great dual purpose to so many of his lines in here, where you could be talking about the sort of the come down from drugs or the using of drugs throughout this thing, where, you know, like the, I used to think this bog was the domain, I think it's a line that really sticks out for me for that, because you think of, you know, the bog is like someone, you know, throwing up after being really sick or it's a place where you're hanging out to you know do coke or something or hide away to right. take right. pills <laughs> that yeah exactly no that makes sense well i was in digging through on the annotated fall page uh some of the comments there were there were a little bit of a just there's a little bit of dissent regarding the sat opposite of freak on a train section as to whether that was him seeing a reflection of himself or him actually looking at a third <laughs> at a third party <laughs> and, and that that I kind of that I, I like that 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 falls right into what you're saying, Bob. Like, yeah. what is like, we, like, you can go either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, I think it's just one of the the yeah the greatest things about his lyrics is, is you know this is why a site like the annotated fall exists is so we can really you know so many interpretations of what he's trying to say. Do any of you have lines that you love from the song? Because I I've always. I've always gravitated to the uh, the imagery of making a path through a forty strong gang. I like the <laughs> yeah. whole, like I used to hang like a chandelier section. That's fantastic. Yes. And then yeah, it, that it took me ten years to write this song. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the yeah. But what is it? My lungs encrusted in blood, but the flex is now cut clear. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because. The main thing I always remember from this song is just the I'm fit and working again. Like, like that's the thing that always <laughs> sticks in my head is because it's so jaunty. Like everything, everything about the music is about. And then like, it seems like all the other lines are just kind of thrown off, especially like the, uh, um, the one about 10 years, it took me 10 years to write this song. It seems like he's, he like swallows it or something whenever he's kind of, whenever he's singing, if I'm thinking about it now correctly, sure. but, it, but, but it seems like everything's just kind of thrown out there. And then like, when it gets back to the like coursey bit, he's like very upfront and, and then, uh, yeah, like, Hey, I'm, it's, it's almost like a making fun of like a lounge singer or something whenever he gets to that chorus. Um, yeah, and, so, and, yeah, and just the idea of like someone who's like really out of their head on drugs or drink trying to appear normal as well. Well, there's that, for the yeah, normal exactly. world, you know, it's like, no, no, everything's fine. I'm fine. I can keep going. Let's, I'm not, yeah. I'm not high at all. I'm totally cool. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can maintain in at whatever level. Like, yeah. um, so yeah, so, <laughs> so. So yeah, that's those are the lines that always stick with me. But I do after going back now and reading them again and listening to it again. Um, yeah, I think all the thrown off lines are just really great. I hadn't really thought of the double of of, of like look, him looking at himself in a mirror or not a mirror, but a window at the end where he's on the train, right? Um, and this freak on the train, you know. Um, I thought he was actually just seeing a freak on the train and then realize, and then realizing, Oh, I'm, I am the freak, not necessarily, or, you know, I am a freak as well. Like right. not necessarily, 
but yeah, it works. It works just the same. So, <laughs> so I don't know. This is a pretty, so, and I should say that this is one of my favorite songs from this era, I would say. And I can't really point a finger to it except for what I've said, <laughs> you know, as to why, except for what I've said here. Um, but it, it just always like feels good to listen to it when it comes on. Hey, you gotta get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's like I said, this is one of those where the one of the few where the lyrics didn't strike me as much um, as any other great Marky Smith song. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think, baby? You can't go wrong with any of the any of the lyrics of this era. Oh no, absolutely not. No, no, I don't think so. All flawless. Yeah. Well, I'll just I'll just throw in one last thing of that. I, I the inclusion of Alan Minter in here is is an interesting touch for him. I mean, I don't know how much he was. A, I don't know. Was he a big? He was a big football fan in England, I think, or at least paid slight attention to that. So I don't know if boxing seems like a weird sport for him to to reference there. But I guess you know, I, yeah, he could have picked any like you know famous footballer from that era. Like why a boxer? I'm not sure. I, I need to I read, read up more on Alan because Mentor. it was kind of the like contemporaneous British. Yeah life it seemed like that was like a late 70s british situation right it seems so. like he was seems like, like he, he was, was in the headlines at that yeah. point yeah and he was you know yeah he was on a really like you know big run f- throughout the 70s of this you know win winning so many boxing matches and uh winning the what do you say here the european middleweight title the british middleweight title so yeah obviously he was you know on everyone's mind back then i guess and then there was, yeah, and there's that that comment on the um, on the annotated fall about uh, how he made that crack about funny fight, fighting marvelous Marvin Hagler and about how he was going to let some black man take his title. Like, that worked out well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoops! Lost all three of his middleweight titles in one bout. Nicely done. <laughs> and I love marvelous Marvin Hagler. I used to live in Massachusetts, and he was a legend out there because he was a he owned a owned a string of uh, uh I think it was vacuum cleaner stores out there. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Amazing. 